Good-looking people out there. Um, I'm Pat. I'm one of the pastors on the team here. And this is like my greatest joy ever. Whenever uh, I'm asked to get to share my heart up here, I just love it. I, and, and you may notice I do this little bouncing thing. Like I just can't help it. I just got so much energy charging through my veins. Um, but, but for those of you that, that maybe you haven't been with us the last few weeks, I just want to let you know we wrapped up an awesome series last week called Renewing. And it really was a, a very challenging three-week series we went through. So I encourage you to, if, if you missed one of those weeks or maybe all of them, uh, go online, podcast them, uh, listen to it on a commute to work or during a workout or something. Uh, I think you'll appreciate it as much as, as, much as I did. And then next week, uh, I've kind of let you know where we're going for the month of June. Crazy to think June is on our doorstep here. Um, we're going to be doing a series called The Circus. The circus, talking about our families, because they are a, much like a circus. So we'll be doing a family-oriented uh, series coming up next week. But this week, today, Pastor Mike asked if I would share with you on this topic of water baptism. Water baptism. So we're going to get our toes wet, and we're going to dive right in. That was for like the eight people in here that love puns. That was just no. Uh, that's all you're going to get today. So... <laughs> So uh, yeah, water baptism. And, and as I was just thinking about this, I was reminded of this phenomenon that happened earlier this year, uh, roughly January through March. There was this thing called, and it swept across uh, Canada and the United States, called the Winter Challenge 2014. The Winter Challenge. Anyone in here know what I'm talking about without you? Okay, so a handful. Let me just tell you, uh, for those of you who didn't raise your hand, this 19-year-old girl up in Canada somewhere decided to jump into a nearby lake, videotape herself, and then challenge her friends to do the same thing and tell them to post it on Facebook and challenge more friends. And you can just see how this thing went viral. So you have tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of people baptizing themselves in nearby lakes and rivers and, and just bodies of water. And I know we, we went on the interwebs and we found uh, some snapshots here of a few overlakers that joined. I, I was one, Alex and I were challenged by one of the Whitfield kids. And so we jumped in the freezing cold water at Juanita Bay um, and, and it was over. So we had nothing better to do that Saturday apparently. Uh, but baptism. These people that did this, they baptized themselves because the word baptism comes from this Greek word. It looks cooler in the Greek, I think. Uh, it's baptizo with the O with like a cool little thing on the top. Uh, it just means to dip, to plunge, to immerse, to cleanse or purify by washing. Baptism. And I think if we've been in the church a, a long time and, and, you know, or maybe, maybe even you've grown up in the church, I think we can quickly forget how many things we do are actually quite strange. They're kind of they're a little weird. Um, I'll pick on worship. I'll, I'll choose worship for just a moment here. Worship. We bring the house lights down. We've got some music going. A lot of us close our eyes and start just singing out. Many raise their hands. I myself can't help but kind of do a little movement. I, I call it dancing. I don't know what other people call it. Uh, in worship, it can look strange to a first-time guest that can seem a little strange. Or, or communion. Uh, we, got, we busted out the, the golden plates and the golden bowls, and we have the world's tiniest little cups, and we, we pour a little grape juice in each of them, and then we have the world's 
tiniest, the world's driest little pieces of bread, and we have the world's lamest snack time every month is what it would look like to a first-time guest. Or baptism. If your first time in church is on a Sunday where we're baptizing people, we're, we're dunking them underwater and bringing them back up, and you park and you come in here, and in two weeks we'll be doing this, you'll, you'll, you'll kind of walk in, take a seat, and you'll notice, you know, there's a happening sound system, there's, there's some cool lights going on, there's a hot tub on stage. <laughs> You're thinking two things, like, man, that was a long walk to get in here. And secondly, how do I book this place for a date night? You know, it just sounds uh, to a total mood. But baptism, it's, it's a little strange. And so what I want to start, where I want to lay our foundation, where I want to make sure we all stack hands and, and, and can agree upon before we go anywhere, is this concept. That baptism is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. If, if you don't know who Jesus is, then really you're just getting wet. If, if you don't know what he's done, then it's just you're getting wet. If he's not at the center of baptism, then it's just you're getting wet. But this is all about Jesus, and, and, and I'll show that to you in Scripture soon. And, and that's where we got to begin, though. The baptism is all about Jesus, and that's why we love baptism. Because here at Overlake, you will hear us speak very uh, every week, in fact, about this person of Jesus. If this is your first time here, you just got to know up front, we love this man. We love who he is, what he's done, what he's promised us, what he's given us. And so that's why we love baptism, too. It's a gift he's given us. And so I want to begin in your notes there. You'll, you'll, uh, you'll, you can pull those out if you want to, if you like uh, taking, taking down notes. You'll see that the first verse that we're going to look at together is Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. It'll be up on the screen too. This was written, this was penned by a dude named Paul. Paul wrote this. It was a letter that he wrote to a church. And so let's pick this up right here in verse 26. It says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Again, there's, that, there's Jesus at the center of this. And that phrase is used constantly by Paul in his writings, this in Christ concept. 83 times, actually. He, it's his go-to phrase. He constantly is saying, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, 83 times. And and. I'm in this state of life right now where so many of my friends are having babies. Many of them, their, their very first baby. Uh, our, our life group has two couples in it, the Krautwurst and Safavis, that just welcome to this world their, their little newborn babies, their, their little boys, uh, little Xander and little Rohan. And, and it made me think of this phrase of being in Christ because at some point, every single person in here, we were all inside of our mother's womb. Praise the Lord, we can't remember that experience. But we were all inside of our mother's womb, and here's the reality. We were utterly dependent upon our mother in that season right there. We were dependent upon her for safety, for growth. We were, we were dependent upon the sustenance of life. We were, we were dependent upon a hope-filled future. And that's what Paul's getting at in the statement of being in Christ it's just, it's just communicating this, this concept of being utterly dependent on Jesus. And, 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 and how, how is it that we become in Christ? This scripture points to it. It says through faith. Through faith. It's, it's not actually through baptism. It's not through a 10-step plan. 
It's not through anything that you can do. There's, there's no course we can walk you through and, and say, if you can do these five things in this particular order at perfect timing, and then, then you can be in Christ. It says, no, 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 no. All children of God are children of God because of faith. And so I need to be clear on that. I don't want anyone to walk away here thinking that baptism is some type of prerequisite or some type of requirement to be saved. It's not. Faith and faith alone. So let's continue. Let's finish this verse. It says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ, again, Jesus at the center of baptism, have clothed yourselves with Christ. And I love that, I love that statement there. I love that, that metaphor, that, that word picture that we get, clothed with Christ. It's as if we're supposed to put him on. We're supposed to wear him. It, it made me think of, of two weeks ago, I was in California, and I packed every single Seahawks regalia I had. I had to remind the 49ers nation of what transpired in the NFL this past year. I took it upon myself, the work of the Lord, to, to bring the good word down to those people in California. My hat reminded them who won the division. My shoes reminded them who won the conference. And my shirt reminded them, yes, that we are Super Bowl champions. <laughs> By what I wore, you knew who I represented. By how we live, Paul says, people should know who we represent, especially those who have been baptized. Especially those who have been baptized into Christ. Clothe yourselves, therefore, with Christ. And I think my favorite definition of baptism that I've heard is these nine words. These nine words. If, if you love getting the right answer on your message notes, you're about to get two right answers right here. And if you only remember nine of the 3,600 words that I say, just remember these nine. If this is it, if you want to tune in now and then, you know, take another nap, go for it. But here's the nine words. Baptism is an outward symbol of an inward commitment. Outward symbol of an inward commitment. I'll just blow through really fast those words. Outward. It's, it's public. It's visible. Others can see it. It's not concealed. It's viewable. Outward. Symbol. It's a metaphor. There's an expression. It's showcasing something. Outward symbol of. Of is a preposition. And. And is an indefinite article. I had to Google both those things, figure out what they were. Uh, outward example or outward symbol of an inward. It's personal. It's, it's heart level in nature. And commitment. It's something that's backed up by action. It's, it's words of a promise. There's a statement, a profession made, but then it's fulfilled throughout action. That's what baptism is. You know, six years, 10 months, and 11 days ago, I married the woman of my dreams. I met her at church. So you singles are in the right spot, let me tell you. Met her at church, crazy about Leah Caitlin Hebden at the time. We get married. And we throw a wedding, and we invite family and friends. And, and if you know my wife, she loves anyone. We, we had, she just kept inviting strangers up until the wedding day. We had a room full of people I didn't even know, right? And we exchanged vows, and we, we, you know, we cut the cake, we cut the rug. We had a great time. We had a great time. But there was a moment in the ceremony where we exchanged rings. We exchanged rings. That's, that's, that's Leah's hand on the left over there. I feel like the girls always get the bigger rings, but that's okay. I'm not complaining. Uh, and these rings are symbolic of an inward commitment that we've made, are they not? Oh, that's right. 
It's a public symbol. It's meant to be seen so that people know that I've made a commitment to someone. And same with Leah. And, and both of us want people to see this. We're not shy over this fact. They're meant to be public in nature. And they're also loaded with symbolism. If you look at a ring, there's no beginning or end. It's unbroken. Those are the vows we made to each other. Vows that won't be broken. A marriage that will, will go on without end. And they're also one. They're singular, just as two people have now become one. That's what that symbolizes. And baptism is also loaded with symbolism, packed full of it. So I want to look at Romans 6 together, and we'll unpack what this symbolism is. Here again, written by that man named Paul. He wrote uh, like 31% of the New Testament. He kind of hogged a lot of the content. He penned a lot of it. Here's what he writes in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. It says, what shall we say then? It's posing a question, right? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Well, we got to realize what he talked about in those first five chapters to really get a sense of where he's going here. And, and what, he, what he speaks of is this sad, sad, sad reality that every man, woman, and child is sinful. That we all make boneheaded decisions. That we're all, we've, we've all been steered off course by our, our pride, our greed, our lust, our jealousy. That, that this selfishness has is, is taken us over and, and done wrong things. Sin. And he says we've all been infected by it. But he also says, I got good news. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is filled with forgiveness. He's filled with unending grace. His love knows no bounds. So now people could begin to think, well, then that gives me a license to sin. If I know there's an unending source of this forgiveness, of this grace, then I can just continue to go on and do whatever I may please. And Paul says very politely, no. Or perhaps he doesn't say it politely. Perhaps he says it the way that my, uh, my professor of theology, the college I went to, Maybe he, he, he doesn't say politely, and, and my professor said this. He read this passage to us in this way. And this is a guy that, that went to Regent College, uh, a scholar, uh, got his PhD in Jewish apocalyptic literature. Good luck with whatever that is, right, from the University of Durham. Here's what he read to us in this passage in front of a few, few dozen college-age students that are learning how to interpret the Bible. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Hell no. And you should have seen everyone was interested in theology all of a sudden. Just some taking notes for the first time. They're like, ah, wow, okay, I'm learning something. I know what by no means translates to. And that was my professor's point is, you know what? Paul is saying the strongest form of no possible in his day translated to hell no in our day. A very strong form of there's no way that grace gives you license to sin. In fact, it's backwards. Grace is what puts sin to death. And so our passage goes on. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
See that symbolism? People, people don't realize this. Baptism's as much about death as it is about life. That's why when someone is baptized, they go under the water. It's symbolizing they're buried, they're dead. There's death. We're, we're, we're aligning ourselves with the death of Jesus. And, and in speaking with Pastor Gary this, this week, he shared with me this thought that think of the death of Jesus Christ. Think of the cross for a moment. It was extremely public in nature. It, it wasn't as if, you know, in these paintings and these pictures or murals that we see where, where the cross is on a hill uh, completely distanced from crowds. The reality is the Romans, they would have placed it at an intersection of two roads going in and out of Jerusalem. The, the point was to make it as public as possible. To make an example to any would-be followers of this man. And yet, look at, look at what we're aligning ourselves with. Exactly that, in a public way. Baptism into death. And death into what? Death into an old way of living. Death into those habits, those, that, 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 that lifestyle filled with greed. Wrecked with selfishness. Overcome with lust. A lifestyle that would be filled with, with jealousy or deceit. A death to those things. And the passage concludes with this. And we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. So we know that. Baptism symbolizes death. In order that, and here's the good news. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. It symbolizes life. There's two reasons why you, why you bring someone up out of the water. The first is so they don't drown. But the second is to symbolize that life. There's a new way to live now. The old is done. The new has come. And we're aligning ourselves now with that power of the resurrected life of Jesus. Because he conquered death. He, he put death to death. It's like a Chuck Norris joke gone bad, but it's true that Jesus conquered death. He killed it. It didn't beat him. And, and the same is promised to us. And that's, what, that's the symbolism loaded and packed into baptism. Buried with Christ, raised to live a new life. And so the question comes, well, then why be baptized? Because a little bit ago, I'm saying that this isn't a requirement by any means. We address that. It's faith. And now that we know what it is, what it symbolizes, then, then why? What's the reasoning behind being baptized? And to that, there's really two large points to be made here, and under of which I think you can make subcategories, but, but two big ideas that we'll address. And the first is this, to make a statement. To make a statement. There, there's a couple ways to, to communicate something to someone. You can say it or you can show it. If you want to be really clear, you do both. That's what baptism does. It makes a statement. If you want to know where I stand on a particular issue or topic or what I think about a particular individual, you would ask me to speak about it or even show. And yet that's what baptism is requiring, is to make a statement. It's, it's the same in marriage. I can either talk about how much I love my wife, and you can take me at my word, or I can show you and convince everyone. Signs point to things. Actions point to things. And that's what baptism does. Baptism points to Jesus because it's all about him. It shows you and it shows others where you stand with him. 
And so prior to being baptized here at Overlake, there's, there's three things, three questions rather, that I guess we, we really ask people. One is, do you believe that Jesus is who he says he was? Do you believe that he's the way, the truth, and the life? Do you believe that he really is the only way to having a healthy, a vibrant, a, 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 an awesome relationship with God? And if so, then secondly, do you believe that you're utterly dependent upon his work on the cross? That he traded his life for yours, that he took your filth, your shame, your sin, and in return gave you his righteousness. And then thirdly, and lastly, we ask, are you prepared to follow him for the rest of your life? Very similar to the act of marriage, the same level of commitment. Very similar, I mean, in thinking of, of really Memorial Day. The swearing in of those soldiers that lost their lives. And it cost many of them. That's the statements we make in baptism. In Acts 2, I love this. This is like one of my favorite chapters of scripture. There's so much that happens in Acts chapter 2. The church just explodes. Jesus is, is, is resurrected from the dead. He spent some time continuing to teach on the kingdom of God with his disciples. He ascends into heaven. The church gets this gift of the Holy Spirit. And Peter begins to give an amazing sermon. Amazing. Thousands hear it. Thousands crowd around. And what he's doing is he's telling people of who Jesus is, what he's done, and the level of commitment required if you want to follow him. And so he has this sermon that people are engaged. And here's what we read. It says, those who believed what Peter said, so there's people that believed, took that first step of faith, belief, and were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. About 3,000 in all. Think of this for a moment. On the spot, 3,000 people are hearing this. They believe, and it says, and they were baptized that day, that day, like in that moment. Like Peter's done, closing prayer, boom, I'm headed to the river if anyone wants to come with me and be baptized. And people go. They don't run home to get an extra set of, you know, change of clothes. I don't think they had 3,000 towels on standby, just on the shore there. I think there were people who were maybe a little nervous about the water, like maybe they couldn't swim well. Maybe there were some people who didn't like getting their hair wet, but they still went down. You have people that maybe were a little nervous, that maybe they're in the midst of a large crowd, they don't like eyes being on them, and yet people cast aside every excuse to go down and to be baptized, to make a statement that day, that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Boom, baptized. Boom, baptized. Buried with Christ, raised to live a new life. Buried with Christ, raised to live a new life. Words uttered 3,000 times that day. Baptism is about making a statement. Secondly, it's about being obedient. Baptism makes a statement, but it's also to be obedient. Let's look at these words that Jesus spoke. And this is after the empty tomb. He's resurrected from the dead. He speaks these words called the Great Commission. Jesus came and told his disciples, to Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have, given all, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples, these followers of him, to, be, to obey all the commands I have given you. 
And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's something Jesus asks us to participate in, is baptism, to all of his followers, and to those that follow him and are helping to, to teach others what it means to follow Jesus, we're, we're, we're asked to teach them to be obedient to Jesus' uh, uh, commands here, to, to be baptized. So baptism is as much about making a statement as it is about being obedient. And here's what I love about Jesus. You got to get this. Realize this. One of my biggest pet peeves is when someone asks you to do something they're not willing to do themselves. Drives me nuts. I'm like, oh, ugh, I don't even want to bother, you know? I can't stand it. And Jesus, not only does he say something that he would be willing to do himself, and in every time, you can check him. Look at the words that he spoke, but look at what he was not only willing to do, but he actually did. He was baptized. Look at other examples. Look at when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Look at how he treated every single other person. Because every single person is your neighbor. That's what he's teaching. It doesn't matter the differences between you. It doesn't matter where you stand on different issues, topics. It doesn't matter if they're on the fringes of society. Look at how he treated those with love. He backs up everything he says. Look at, look at his statement. If you want to save your life, you've got to lose it. Look at what he did. And so even in baptism, he asked us to be baptized, but in Matthew 3 here, we see that he was baptized. Let's check this out. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Here's this John character. Check this out. It's actually a cousin of Jesus. But John's get up is like a Lady Gaga outfit. That's what, the, that's what it says in Scripture. In my, my Bible, it said camel hair clothing with a leather belt. Like the dude's just a little different. He's a little different. He had a balanced diet of two things, wild honey and locusts, right? He had a sweet tooth and he needed protein. So this dude is a little different. And his ministry happens in the wilderness down by a river. Down by a river, this guy is dunking people. And what he's preaching is constantly about, hey, get prepared. Change is coming. Hey, just letting you know, change is coming. If you want to know what I'm, what I'm about, just know that change is coming. Because there's one coming who's greater than me, and you better be ready. Because he's going to bring a paradigm shift to our culture, to this world. He's going to establish a kingdom that knows no end. And who he's speaking of was Jesus. And here comes Jesus to John in the wilderness. And it says that John would have prevented him. John actually didn't want to baptize him. He sees, he sees Jesus coming. He says, behold, the Lamb of God. Here he comes. And Jesus is saying, will you baptize me? And John's saying, no, I would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. Good move, John. Always do what Jesus wants you to do. It's a good lesson. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. You know what intrigues me about this is why. Why would Jesus be baptized? John's baptism is clearly an act of repentance. It even says that, that people would come confessing their sins, and then they'd be baptized. It was more a marker of washing away what's bad and then coming back up. And, and in that day, you could be baptized multiple times. So why? Why would Jesus be baptized? 
Well, I think Jesus gives us a great clue. He says it's to fulfill all righteousness. Let's look at the words of Isaiah, a prophet who lived 700 years earlier. 700 years earlier, a man writes this on a scroll. It says in chapter 40, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. It's speaking to this man of John the Baptist. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Clear it out. Let's make an ease of access here so that many can come. For every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. We're making it easy to come into Christ. We're we're removing barriers here. The rugged places is a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And revealed it was that day when he was baptized. And all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Jesus is baptized. A voice from heaven says, Behold, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Cat's out of the bag. The glory of who Jesus is is revealed. These words have become true. And, 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 and look in Isaiah 42. Look at how this mirrors the statement that comes out of the Lord's mouth on that day near that river. It says, Behold my ser- servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Again, fulfillment. The Spirit of God comes, rests upon Jesus in the form of a dove. Think of the symbolism there. Think of a bird. like A, a dove is not going to land anywhere unless it feels completely safe. And, and at the, the slightest uh, hunch or feeling or sense that, that it may be threatened or there's too quick of a movement, it's out of there. And yet it comes and it remains upon Jesus? Look at how he lives his ministry with such intentionality as if you knew there's this bird that that needs to remain upon you. Aren't we called to live with just as much intentionality as Jesus? Isn't the spirit placed in us? Jesus role models this for us. And scholars have attributed other things to the reasoning behind Jesus' baptism. One, to, to give credit to, to, to give this credibility to John the Baptist's ministry because a lot of people weren't so hot on this guy. He wasn't the most popular dude. In fact, he got his head chopped off. That's how, that's how he died. Really wasn't a super popular dude. And yet, when you baptize the Son of God, that gives you a little bit of credibility. An- another reason people would say, Jesus was baptized to fulfill the old law in the tes- Old Testament where it requires that a high priest is washed with water and anointed with oil. It's in like Exodus 27. Uh, I think it's 27, 29, my bad. Exodus 29 speaks of this. And isn't that what Jesus does? But he, but he does one better. Save the oil. I'm anointed with the Spirit. And then this, this other reason that, that many scholars would, would lay claim to the reason behind Jesus' baptism is, isn't it an incredible foreshadowing of his ministry? The next three years of his life, I mean, this is his baptism is really his initiation into ministry. After this, he goes into a desert. He's, he's, he's beginning to attract some followers, his disciples. But, but his life and ministry here on this earth will end in death, will end in burial, and will end in new life. The very symbolism of baptism, the very thing we're called to walk into. And I love this. I love that it really is this act of obedience that Jesus displays for us. 
John 5 says that Jesus only did what he saw his father doing. And yet he role models it for us, this act of obedience, this lifestyle that he says, take on for yourselves, for those of you that follow me. Do the things that you see me doing. And so where I want to end is with three next steps, and one of these will apply to you, perhaps a couple. The first is this, and it really goes back to this this issue of faith that we brought up in the beginning, that, that the first step is to profess. It's an act of, of professing a, a dependence upon Jesus. It's, it's professing that he is who he says he was. He either is the son of God, he either is the man that, was, uh, the, that died on a cross, went into a tomb, and then came out three days later, or he was completely crazy. Those are kind of the two options. Not a lot of middle ground with this guy. So maybe that's a step you need to take, is professing faith in him for the very first time. A second step would be this, that you need to take the plunge. You need to go underwater. You need to be baptized. For those that believe that day, the 3,000, it followed their belief. It says they believed and then they were baptized. It's believer's baptism. It's what we practice here at Overlake. You'll see first graders up here that be baptized because they're professing their faith. They can articulate it. You'll see great-grandparents of first graders being baptized. Again, making a statement, being obedient. We're we're, we're asked sometimes if we'll baptize uh, little infants, little babies. And and what we we do there is we we don't dunk them. We don't sprinkle them with water. We we allow parents that if you want to dedicate your child, as is role modeled in Scripture, in in the person of Samuel in the Old Testament, if you want a New Testament example, good one's Jesus. He was dedicated. And we allow parents to come up on stage and dedicate the the birth, uh, uh, their, their newborns. And we'll be doing that next week, which is one of my favorite things because there's so many babies at Overlake right now. It's incredible. And we pray and we support them so that one day that they will want to make an outward symbol of an inward commitment, that they'll choose to be baptized. And if you've already professed, if you've already taken the plunge, then maybe it's time to bust out the pom-poms. And I mean that. This is one of the coolest things of our faith, to not stand idly by and just simply watch people making the statement of faith, being obedient, but it's to be involved as a cheerleader. It's to to cheer them on. It's to get excited. It is such a cool moment. And and for those of you, what it may look like in in this concept of having pom-poms, if if you're a life group leader, maybe it's time to to bring up the, 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 the topic of baptism in a life group. Who do you need to cheer on to take this step of faith, to be obedient to this practice? But I think we can blow the top off this place, and it's going to be okay when we're doing it, celebrating people who are making statements of faith. I'll I'll end with this. I will never forget being a, I was going into sixth grade, it was summertime, going into sixth grade. And it was at Lake Coeur d'Alene in North Idaho. I grew up in Spokane, so we just drove 25 minutes east. And I'll never forget going out into that water, right, right there, kind of by the resort, right off the beach, headed towards the man that was my youth pastor, really looked up to this guy, still do, Walter Maxwell, great dude, really funny. Went out there, 
And I'll never forget how cold the water was. I'll never forget. I remember, actually, now I was really thinking about it. I remember stubbing my toe on a rock that I didn't see on my way out there. I, I can remember that day so clearly. But I'll never forget going under, coming back up, and looking to the shoreline and seeing my family, my friends, people from church, even strangers, just cheering me on. I remember my mom doing the little mom moment, like holding the towel, like, I got you, buddy, you're turning blue, you know, like, it's an anchor to our faith. It gives us something to reference back to. And so I encourage you, maybe a step for you is to profess, to move into a place of faith. The song that we'll sing uh, to wrap service up in a little bit powerfully communicates the gospel. If that's a step you need to, to take, then maybe, maybe in that song, you just need to really let those lyrics sink in. If it's time to take the plunge, know that we're doing that in two weeks. You can fill out your connection card. We'll do that in a second. You can sign up online. We want to baptize those that are believers, those that are professing faith. And then third, bust out your pom-poms. Let's not be shy. When we come in two weeks, let's be ready to cheer people on. And in that time, let's be ready to cheer people on towards that step of baptism. Let me pray for you. God, we love your word so much. There's just such truth, such power, such authority in it. And, and thank you for exposing us to that today, this morning. And I pray over every person in here and the, the next step that, that we're called to take, would you help us? Would, would your spirit just, um, just fill people with a boldness? That there just be this uh, courage that wells up in people's hearts and minds to, to take the next step in their faith journey. And I pray for all of us, the, the, the very thing that, that your son lived out, that Jesus lived out, that we would be doing the things that we see you doing. Would you just get us in tune with your spirit, with what you're up to on the east side here in Redmond, Kirkland, uh, Woodenville, all over this place, Bellevue, Lord. Would, you, would we really be agents of, of change, bringing forth the kingdom that you brought? And so fill us and, and really send us out. And we thank you for your gift of baptism. In your name, amen.